All right. We're going to go ahead and get started today. If you can hear my voice, we're going to go ahead and get started with church today. Welcome to Hill City Church. So excited to have you here. If you're brand new here today, welcome. Um, today is our setup, what we call Simple Church. And um, really just to bring to remembrance of why we do this is to kind of hone in and just have a time of just focused intimacy with God today. Um, we always say that if you're uncomfortable, don't let it let you be complacent in finding a time with God. In this time, just uh, relax and do whatever you do to find your time with God. If you need to get up and walk around, if, if you want to kneel and pray, whatever you want to do today to have some time with God, we encourage you to do that today. I'm going to pray this morning and then we'll get started. God, I just, I worship you today, God. I come with a humble heart today, God, just laying it out before you. Lord, we're here. Just meet with us today, God. We, we've come to learn from you today, God, and we've come to just give you the praise that you deserve. God, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do here today, Lord. We invite your spirit. We invite your son. Come and meet with us. Come dwell with us today, Lord God. We invite you into this time. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. There's also uh, words around on the seats if you need words today.
Search our hearts today. God, even in this time where it might not be what we expect, it might not be what we have planned for, but regardless, you still show up. You still are so good. Lord, we take this time to focus on you right now. We take this time to, to just be with you, to just be in your presence. Church, I encourage you during this time just to focus on him. Don't let this time pass you by. 
it might seem different in here. And to some of you, it might not be different. It might be too much the same. But you know what? None of that matters. Doesn't matter what it looks like in here. Doesn't matter where we are. We are the church no matter where we're at. And we choose to come together to worship our God. We choose to come together in unity to lift up his name as one today. I encourage you to do that today. Just spend a little time with him. I just wanna make 
just one more time. I'm so in love with you. I am so in love with you. There is no one else for me. I am so in love with you. There is no one else for me. Heavenly Father, I just ask you be with us, Lord God, as we just continue on with our worship with your word. Lord God, in celebrating who you are, I pray that you be with us and as the kids got to be a part of this worship and that we have something for them. But I pray, God, that we all come not saying, God, give me something, but we all come saying, God, I got you something. That we offer a part of ourselves. It is in releasing, it is in the giving that somehow there is a fulfillment in what we really desire within, God. And so I pray in this room, in our worship, in which, which means in our singing, we say, God, I have something for you. In our prayer, we say, God, I have something for you. Let that be the desire and, 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 uh, and the foundation of who we are, God. Let us not just consume and take. We want to release something to you. We want to release a, a thankfulness, a, a praise, God. We want to release a gladness, a joy from our hearts, God. Let that be our heart today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You guys can be seated. Give God praise. And at this time, the kids uh, can follow out. And we have something for you guys in the gyms. Thank you, Tino. How are you guys doing? Man, it's, it's been a crazy week. Anyone have a crazy week? right? Just busy, a lot of things going on. I know if you have kids, they got dressed up, they got all things were going on this week and a lot of things. Uh, uh, we, I got to be in, um, in Tennessee this week. If you guys know who Katie Novak and Kyle Esparza is, I got to be with them. Yeah, they just got married this week and they've been part of our family for uh, five, six years. So it was, it, was, it was interesting. When they were getting married, I didn't think I would respond that way. I saw Katie start walking down the aisle, and I got all choked up. I was like, oh, my gosh, I think I'm going to cry. I don't, I don't normally cry. I was like, you know, I was holding back some tears. Uh, but it's, it's different when, when, when you feel like you've grown with someone, that they're family. They're not just, you're not just doing a wedding, right? You're, just, you're not doing a wedding just for your buddy or for your friends. But it was, uh, it was family. It was family. I got to pour into her life during the good time and bad. And here she is. After, after some hard times in her life, after heartbreak in her life, here she is as God brings in the culmination of this person in her life. And I was like, this is a beautiful, like, redemptive day, God. Because if you know her story, you know how redemptive this moment was. And, I, and, and, and all that came together, and, I, and it got me choked up. And, and so I was just thinking about just Kyle. I've known him from, uh, from middle school, and Katie, I've known her for a very long time and 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 then it came about but right now we're it's going to be a time of communion and it's a continuation of our worship but I was uh, that thought that Katie and Kyle thought in Ephesians 5 it talks about how our marriage as man and wife it, it is an illustration of Christ in the church 
It's not just a, it's just not something we do like flippantly. It's not just out of love and happiness. No, it goes deeper than that. When a Christian marriage exemplifies Christ, it, 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 it shows who Christ is. And, and I pray, and, and I know that we all struggle in marriage and we've gone through hard times and things like that. But I pray your, your marriage or your future marriage will exemplify Christ. We'll, we'll show off who Jesus is so that they can see in your life, even in your life, the redemption that's happening. Even in your, in your marriage, Lacey and Zach, they're going to see Christ in that marriage. They just are. It's an illustration of that. And so um, today we're taking communion. And, 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 and Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, that's, what, that's when it happened. It wasn't, it, it wasn't just that any moment. You can, you can just imagine it was Passover. And it, it represented something way back in the Old Testament. And it was going to happen again that night. And people weren't ready for what was going. And Jesus was talking about the Passover lamb, how he would be sacrificed to, to, for the sins of the world, for the sins of the other. But he says on that night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took bread and he broke it. I don't know if you guys, everyone get their bread in their hand? No, not yet. We'll take a moment as you guys pass that out. But think about, think about what's in your hand. I know it's just bread, but he, it says that he broke it. And I like to break my bread like this. And it symbolizes a lot of things. Breaking bread in the, uh, in the New Testament symbolizes community, right? Eating together. Who likes eating together? Right? I love eating together, obviously. Um, uh, but that's what broken bread, it, it's, a, it's a brokenness of self. Because you know, in, in real community, there's, there's a brokenness of self. You have to pour your life out too. It's not just about you. You're not a whole piece until, until we get into each other's life. And around here, we talk about not only confessing our sins to God, but confessing our sins to one another. And I know that there's groups that are going on that, uh, that guys and women, they're confessing deep parts of themselves. And it says in, in, in James chapter 5, verse 26, as you confess your sins to one another, when you become really known, it says, so that you may be healed. Healed. The brokenness of bread is not only the work of uh, Jesus' uh, broken body, but in the family of Christ, it's the breaking of ourselves so that we are really, we really know someone in a deep way and we are known in a deep way. And if you don't have that, I'm asking you, family, be church, be a body of Christ, be a church family, not a just church attender, you know? Let us not just come to church, let us be family where you carry the burdens of one another, but they also carry your burdens too. And in that way, it says, so that you may be healed. Some of us, we're carrying some things that we shouldn't be carrying. We're carrying it on our backs and we're living with it. And we think it's better that no one knows our issues. No one knows who we really are. Because if they really know who you are, then they won't like you. Some of us, we think that way. And that's the lie of the enemy, just right there. To single you out, to keep you alone, to keep you distracted so that you can keep on hiding the way it is. But I'm telling you, what Jesus did on the cross is so that his body was broken so that you would not be broken that you could be made whole in Christ and in community as we confess, as we, if there's confession, there, there is uh, encouragement, and there's rebuke. We need all three of those things in our life. I'm telling you, as grown adults, we need rebuke too, right? Because we don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. We all need people in our lives that can speak deeply into our lives enough, care for you enough that they'll speak truth over you. 
Some of us, we don't want that kind of friendship, but that's real friendship. I'm telling you that they know, they're like, hey, you've been spending way too much with that gal that you work with. There's, that might cause a problem in your marriage. Can we speak to those issues? Can we speak to real issues in life as we become the family of God? I pray that we are broken for one another and that we carry one another. But Jesus said on that day that he was betrayed, this is my body that was broken for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. On that same night, Jesus took the cup and he says, this is my blood that was poured out for you for the new covenant. See, the old covenant represented our works to get to God, that how good we are to get to God. And the old covenant pretty much represented that. It, you know why we have the old covenant? It shows us that we can't get to God. That's what it actually represents. It was a tutor to show us, hey, there's nothing that you could do. Your goodness cannot get you to God. And he says, this is the new covenant. He says, I'm, I'm getting you to him. I am him. So Jesus didn't say, you come to me. He says, I'm coming to you. That's why he's Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what the new covenant represents, that we have life in Christ, that we have joy in Christ, that he has come to us. And that what we're doing is not working ourselves to be right in the eyes of Jesus. He makes us right when we are with him. And so we are responding in a way saying, God, if I am right with you, then I'm going to give my life to you. What else can we give God who has given us everything? What else can we, how else can we respond to God? So this is my blood in the new covenant. Anytime you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Heavenly Father, I pray. God, we are so clean in you. We are more right than we've ever been than we're right in you, God. We can't be more right. Sometimes we sit here and we're saying, I need to be more right. I, I believe there is things that need to change in our life. But when we are in Christ, we are made perfect in your sight, God. You see us through the lens of Jesus and his sacrifice and his life, God. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, uh, the ushers are also going to come forward, and it's going to be just we're going to do our offering. But as we speak, we have um, we, in the next couple of weeks, we're collecting uh, for homeless care packages. So we're collecting socks. We're collecting things. There's a list out there. Please participate. I mean, how hard is it to get a bag of socks, right? Go to Walmart grab a bag of socks, but what you're doing goes way beyond just that moment. You're participating in the grace of God. That's what you're doing. You're participating in what God has done for you. If you, if we have our provisions taken care of, let's provide for others. Let's respond understanding what God has done for us. So that's what's going on out there. We, uh, we want to make 200 care packages that our kids are going to put together. So, that kid, so in two weeks, our kids in the other room, they will put the homeless care packages together, and they're going to be part of the, the, the story. That's what I, I call it. We are, we're all in on a bigger story 
and so please participate sign up don't forget don't just leave out of here i know you guys are in your orange and it's it's game day right but be part of the bigger story of redemption uh so please sign up and uh if the guys can come forward we're gonna we're gonna give and i'm gonna pray for the offering the offering uh, goes to keeping this going it's it, it gives to the vision of this church it gives goes to our children so if this place has uh, is uh, it's sown into you, sown into it, and uh, sown and the future of what we're doing here, the future of people who are not here. Just we are giving to the vision, Heavenly Father. As we give, we're giving out of obedience. We're giving to the vision, uh, but it is just I pray, Lord God, we are grateful for your pro- for your provision, God. I pray we are part of the giving to the homeless care packages and the giving of our tithes and offering. Uh, but we're just thankful for you, God. I pray as we move into the word portion of the service, God, that we don't die down, but we raise uh, awareness, God, and we wake up today. We thank you in our giving. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you. Thank you for your giving as you guys pass that out. I have a, uh, it is my pleasure today. I have actually a friend. We've known each other for how many years? 15 years, I think, uh, if we, we, we think about it. And he, he's the guy with one of the best beards in this place. So you can look around and look for a guy with an awesome beard. And uh, he definitely uses beard cream, and he combs that out. But I, I digress. But uh, I love this guy. He uh, inspires. He, I, I believe God put him in my life to inspire me, just to give me a new view on, on, uh, on to look at the gospel and what God is doing. And he is, uh, he is the director of Origins Community in uh, the Boulder, Louisville, Frederick, Eric DeCono area, Thornton, what, all, all over. And uh, he's just a good friend, college friend. And uh, if you guys can give a warm welcome to my friend Ryan Williams. Spinning in circles. Yep. Sounds like a really good way to do things. Yes, um, before I get started into the word today, I want to say thank you to you guys. Um, this has been an incredible experience this morning uh, for my family. As John mentioned, we're uh, part of Origins Community, which is a house church network. And so my kids are not used to this. Um, this would be a, a huge, extremely enormous house church. Um, and so uh, to come into this place and to be able to sing songs of worship with you has been a real blessing today. Um, my wife Jennifer is over here and our youngest Adeline is uh, non on a bagel. Hopefully that'll keep her happy. Um, last time I spoke uh, uh, in a congregation like this, um, my next oldest decided to walk right up in the middle of the service uh, and hand me off some drawings because, well, they're used to having complete access to me in our in our living room while I'm speaking. So, um, thank you so much. This has been awesome and uh, not not unexpected to be honest. Uh, John brags on you guys quite a bit, and uh, it's really good to be in a place where so many people are focused on making a difference, letting God work through them to touch the lives of the people right in front of them, and that's mostly what we're going to be talking about today. Um, as John mentioned, uh, we met uh, back in Bible school in college. And um, to be honest, it, the thing I loved most about um, Southwestern had nothing to do with academics. Um, it was everything to do with the people. People, honestly, just like yourself. Uh, good people 
who wanted to do good things. And um, John's told me that you're an honest church, uh, that you have honest spirituality. So today I'm gonna, I'm gonna start off by kind of telling on myself uh, things that are ugly, honestly. Because um, the, the thing about doing good works, the thing about going out and trying to make a difference in the world is, sometimes we can get so locked into doing good things that we miss the very people that we could that we could be having an impact on. And today that's what we're gonna be talking about. Sometimes we miss people, sometimes we avoid people, and none of those things are rhythms of faith. Today I want you to be thinking about the people that are right in front of you. It's kinda of easy when we're sitting in a circle like this. Easy for you, I'm gonna be spinning. Um, but you can see the people who are right in front of you. And, and I don't want you to theorize this when I talk about it today. When I say the people right in front of you, it's not this ethereal thing of people you don't know. I want you to look across this room. These are the people who are right in front of you. And when I say that today, that's what I mean. I mean very tangibly the people you can reach out and touch, the people you can shake their hand, the people you can see their expressions day in and day out. And right now in this moment, the people right in front of you. A couple of Mondays ago, I had a Monday. <laughs> uh, and I'm gonna tell you sort of some of the things that happened. Like John, I'm a minister, so you expect, you know, our full-time job is to look out for people, care for people, right? This is where I get honest and I tell myself. Because all of the people that I should have been interested in that day, all the people that I should have been exploring their needs, all the people I should have been engaged in their life, I missed them because I was trying to get to my office to do good work for God. And here's how my day started off. It started off something a little bit like this, and those of you that are parents, you're, you're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. You did what? Get in the shower, 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 get dressed, get dressed, get dressed, get dressed. Get in the car, get in the car, get in the car. I want you to read my lips, get in the, no, you can't have, get in the car. That's more or less how the day started. And on the way to getting, the kids to school, of course, traffic happens. Obviously, it's on the day that I'm running five minutes late already. And I'm on the highway, and I don't understand. I'm on a section of the highway, and I say the same thing that many of you say all the time. How is it possible we have traffic here? And as we're going along, driving along, we finally get through, get there along the way, we pass a two-car accident, and we keep driving. And all I have in my heart is frustration at this point. I get the kids dropped off at school, driving over to work. I drop into the local coffee shop, same place I drop in most of the days. Know the baristas, know them by name. But for some odd reason, I walk up to the line, I stand there for a really long time, which is great, because that means they're doing good business. I stand there for a really long time, and when I go to order, I don't even, you know, Brees says, how's your day going? Great. Here, and my attention goes directly to the menu, up above her. Funny thing is, I order this same exact drink every single day. I'm one of those. It's just a dark roast, no cream. She pretty much could order it for me, but I don't even look her in the eye. I'm looking at the menu as if I need the menu to order the drink. Look at the menu, order the drink, comes back to me, 
I go to pay, don't even look at it. I know where the chip goes. Of course, my chip's from Wells Fargo, so it doesn't work right now. So chip, 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 then swipe. If those of you that don't know that, that's how it works with Wells Fargo cards. And as I turned to go, she says, have a good day. I said, oh, I hope you do too. Still haven't even looked her in the eye. And then she says, probably not. And I finally turn around to look, and she's got a tear in her eye. Haven't even noticed. Guys, I'm a pastor. Haven't even noticed. Get over to the office. Oh, because by the way, I still had good things to do, so I kept rolling. Going over to the office, first piece of mail I pick up is a walk in the door. It's got these big red letters on the front of it. I open it up, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So the next two hours I spend on phone call, where primarily it's me and elevator music, right? Just listening, punching buttons, getting disconnected, having to recall back. Finally get a human being on the other side. Something I'm very excited about, but I sure don't sound excited. And I have to talk to that person. And by this point, I feel like my morning's been completely derailed. And just as I'm starting to realize, oh man, I didn't get any of the things done for God that I wanted to do today, I gotta head out the door to a meeting with somebody who I think they meet with me just to argue. I've been dreading this meeting for a good two weeks. <laughs> Don't even wanna to go to it. I go, and quite frankly, I'm sure he could have read it all over my face. I go to pull into the parking lot, got my blinker on, because it's a tight parking lot in Boulder, and yep, sure enough, even though I'm waiting with my blinker on, person pulls out, person pulls in. So I pull around, makes me five minutes late to that meeting. I sit down and we shoot the breeze and to my amazement, we argue about nothing. We ended up talking mostly about the Broncos. Didn't argue about any things that I, he loves to argue with me about, whether it be politics, religion, none of it. I thought, man, great meeting, didn't argue a bit. Move on, went to my next meeting, shot the breeze with somebody. Felt the same way about that meeting. Thank goodness this one went faster than it was supposed to have gone. Went over, thought, man, I'm in Boulder. I might as well head on over. We recently took my grandma into a facility. She's in a lockdown facility because her dementia's gotten so bad. Um, she has to be taken care of 100% of the time. And uh, they don't want her, she's attempted to leave the facility too much, so she's now in a lockdown ward. Drop in, see her. One of the first things I say to her is, oh, it's so good to see you. Hey, I've only got like 15 minutes. Monday became somebody else's Monday, a lot of people's Monday. And I finally get back to my office and I'm ready to make a difference for God. And it hits me. I missed everybody. Some of the people were my everyday folks, like my spouse, my children, people I see uh, in my office. I rent space from a, a local shop, so every day I get a walk in, say hi to somebody. Too often I walk in and say hi and keep rolling. Does that sound familiar to any of you? In my honesty, if I found honest people? Yeah. It's, too often it's the everyday folks, the people we see every single day, that we take for granted, and so we miss them. And sometimes it's the people we bump into, the, call them detours. <laughs> Detour being you were trying to get from A to B fastest way possible and somebody else out of your control says we're going this way. 
So you gotta take that and you're still trying to get there fastest. That's sometimes what people are in our lives, just detours, so bump into you. And in that way, we're just trying to get past them as fast as we can. And then other people, we really don't enjoy, if we're honest with ourselves. We don't like them. And in our worst moments, it even turns into bigotry. And quite frankly, all we do is we try to avoid. We miss people, we try to move past them, we avoid them. And the sad thing is so often we do it in the name of good works and the name of getting to a really good thing. I want to tell you something that you already know. Rhythms of faith, rhythms of healthy soul behavior, rhythms of following Jesus don't involve missing people, moving past them quickly, and avoiding them. Jesus' desire for his followers is that we be interested in the people right in front of us, that we be exploring the needs of their lives, and that we be engaged in meeting those needs. Every single day, in every single moment, you can be interested, exploring, engaged. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to live a life of faith, if you actually want to make a difference. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in John chapter 4 today. Now that's fun. I never get that in my living room. We got to teach him to do that. <laughs> that's awesome. John chapter four. Um, I'm a bit of a bit of a Bible geek, Bible nerd. Um, gone on, did my uh, master of divinity degree. I absolutely love the Bible, and I think one of the things that we forget when we go to the Bible sometimes is that it is a cross-cultural experience. If you were about to hop on a plane and go to another country, chances are you would have already done your homework. You would have thought through the land you're gonna be in, the politics of what's going on, whether or not you might be in danger because of the politics that are going on. You'd be thinking through what you're gonna be eating, what you shouldn't be eating, all of these things. So when we hop on a plane, we're completely aware that we're going into another place. Don't ever forget that when you hop into the Word. Because although this was written for you, it was not written to you. And if you want to know what's for you, you got to go check out what was written to them. And you take that principle and apply it to your life. So today as we move through this, I might point out a few verses that uh, otherwise we might jump through. And one of the first ones, most important ones in this entire passage doesn't seem that important. Beginning in John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, went back again to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. If you guys are honest with me, if you were going to go check out a verse this morning, if you were going to pop open your Bible and say, God, inspire me today, probably the verses that were not going to inspire you were, so he left Judea, went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Everything I'm about to tell you, though, has to do with those three verses. So take a look at them. For the vast majority of us, we have no idea what was just said. Judea, Galilee, Samaria. It's all the same place, right? It's not the same place. Judea and Galilee were two different regions. So was Samaria. And what we know about Jesus already in John chapter 4 is that in John chapter 2, he had moved from his region, the nobodies from nowhere, the poor people up in Galilee, he had gone down to Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Judea and Galilee 
share a common border to the west. It's the Mediterranean Sea. They share a common border to the east. It's the Jordan River. And in between them, in between the southern region of Judea, where Jerusalem is, and the northern region of Galilee, is Samaria. Most, uh, most good Jews would never travel through Samaria. Why? Because they absolutely hated each other. We don't like to talk about these things, but this sort of stuff is explained in the Bible. It's not something we like culturally. It's not something we agree with culturally, but it was there. These people had actually been violent toward each other because they thought differently about God. They had actually been violent toward each other because they were a different race. It's not something we're comfortable with, not something we agree with. It's why John had to say they went through Samaria. Because Jesus, quite frankly, should not have been going through Samaria. We, they, we do not have a traveling faith. I know all of you got up, got dressed, got here, and those of you that got here with kids, God bless you. It feels like a traveling religion on Sunday mornings. But our faith doesn't have festivals that require us to travel hundreds of miles by foot, often at great peril, to get to certain places. We know that in John chapter 2, Jesus had traveled from Galilee to Jerusalem for a very common festival. And now he's going back. What wasn't said in John 2 is what we would assume. That to get to Judea, they would have gone from Galilee, they would have crossed on the eastern, they would have gone across the eastern border of, of the Jordan River, traveled down around Samaria, and then into Jerusalem. This is what good Jews did. They did not travel through Samaria. The absolute only reason you would go through Samaria is if you had to get there quickly. That was the only excuse. If you had good business that you had to get to very quickly, this is the only reason you go through Samaria. And this is why John says, now he had to go through Samaria. What does that tell us about what's going on with Jesus and the disciples? They got good business and they got to get to it. They got to do it quickly. So here we go. This is the scenario. And quite frankly, based on what I was just saying, I think you all can relate. This is an ordinary day of us getting to the good business, the good work of God, as quickly as we possibly can. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Noon. We don't really think about this very much. It'll be noon here in just a little bit, and although it's warm in here, we are a people who live indoors. We're not used to our lives revolving around the elements. The thing about it being noon is that it's the hottest part of the day, right? We all know that. Seldom are we actually affected by that. But if you live your life outside, your work's always outside, you know it's the hottest part of the day. It's going to be significant. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? In some of your Bibles, there's parentheses here. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. There's a really, really good book. If you guys enjoy reading books that help supplement scripture reading, I encourage you to read this book. It's called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. We miss so much of what goes on because we don't understand the culture. In that book, one of the things it talks about is if you're living in your own culture, 
things go without being said. And really then when you say things, when you record things, then you're outside the realm of what uh, goes without being said. There's things that we just assume in culture. There's things that we just know. The fact that John actually has to record any of this tells us something odd is happening. What's odd happening here is a male is speaking publicly with a female. Again, don't agree with this, but this is the reality of that culture. This would have been seen as inappropriate for any male, let alone a rabbi or a teacher, to be doing in public. It would have been seen as scandalous for a man alone with a woman to be talking to her and engaging in conversation with her privately. This is why these words that his disciples have come have been recorded here, because John's trying to set the stage. They're trying to get as quickly as they can to get about the business of God, and yet here's Jesus in the middle of all this, and he's sort of doing scandalous behavior. The woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. We always already talked about this briefly, so I'm not going to go too much further on this. But here, John is reiterating something that people already knew, but he's trying to drive it home. This is odd. This is out of place. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, anyone who drinks this water will never be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them, I'm sorry, will be thirsty again. Those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Then woman, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that, I may, so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming to this well to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and, and have him come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this place where we worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not understand, and we worship what we do. For salvation is first for the Jews, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain all of this to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. This is a really fascinating passage of Scripture from just an anthropomorphic sense. That is to say, these two people shouldn't have been talking in the first place. They shouldn't have been engaging in this type of conversation. And this conversation would have been really tense. 
We're going through a political season in this country, and I'm sure some of you are finding it increasingly difficult to have varied opinions on things. It's almost as if you mentioned somebody's name, which is why I'm not going to, that you can feel the tension rise. I dare you to put one of those people's name on your Facebook feed and it doesn't light up. <laughs> Thankfully, we live in a country, though, where nobody's lost their life over this. Well, that may not be exactly true, but on a broad scale, we don't have armies marching against armies. They did. When she starts talking about this mountains, this is a big deal. About 100 years before Jesus was born, the temple that the Samaritans had built to worship Yahweh, the Jews had come in, burned it to the ground, and killed people. This is a significant conversation. This is a taboo conversation for most people in that region. And Jesus is having it. He's engaging in it. And he's engaging in it with somebody he shouldn't be talking to. Sometimes we really discount just how countercultural Jesus was in his own day. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her jar... The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. It's pretty obvious what's going on here. The disciples are brand managing, aren't they? They are really worried that Jesus has gone off the deep end. We had good work to do up in Galilee, we're trying to get there quickly, you're engaging in behavior that you shouldn't be, and I don't know we want anyone else to know about this. They see the Samaritans coming out of the village toward them, and what do they say? Rabbi, eat something. Teacher, let's get rocking. Let's get rolling. we got to get out of here. This is not the kind of thing you're supposed to be doing. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, those who reap draw their wages. Even now, they harvest the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Jesus answered to his disciples, and this particular teaching will reverberate throughout the entire early church. We forget that in the early days of the church, go, go check out Acts, go read Acts this week. There comes a particular point in the early stages of the church where they have this thing called the Jerusalem Council. And what's the argument at the Jerusalem Council? That this worship of God isn't exclusive to Jews. It's for Gentiles as well. All of that has its underpinnings had all that undercurrent going on in this countercultural thing that Jesus did. No person was 
out of bounds for Jesus. No person was excluded. No variety of opinions would be shut down. It isn't to say that there wasn't a plurality of truth, but it's that Jesus was willing to engage in those conversations with the wrong people about the wrong topics. Quite frankly, the people that he found right in front of him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. There could not be a more profound verse in this entire passage than those words, and he stayed with them for two days. We're lucky to stay with people for two minutes that we don't like, don't agree with us, want to be argumentative, get in our way of the good things we want to do. And Jesus didn't just stay for two minutes. He required not only himself, but his entire disciples to stay with these people for two days. Think about that. Sleeps in their homes, eats their food, has their conversations. Can you imagine being one of the disciples in a completely uncomfortable environment? We see what they were trying to do. Rabbi, eat something. Let's get rolling. They are not comfortable here. And Jesus says, well, that's why we're staying two days. Sometimes it's the everyday folks that we miss. Sometimes, like in this passage, it's the detour people, the people we bump into. Sometimes it's the people we don't want to talk to and we want to avoid. But there's a rhythm of following Jesus, and if we're serious about being Christ's followers, then we have to acknowledge there is nothing greater we could be doing for God than being interested in the people who are right in front of us, digging in and exploring the needs of their life, and being engaged in meeting those needs. When I talk about being interested, it's not just a casual like on Facebook. Interest in people is fascination. It's thinking that you would rather not be with anyone else in that moment. How often do we give that kind of attention to the people in our lives? Sometimes people become so familiar. If you have a spouse, when's the last time you treated them with fascination? If you have children, when's the last time you delighted when they came down the hall with a pile of stuff that they've dismantled and they see beauty in it? When's the last time you treated your coworkers like you wanted to be around them all day long? When's the last time you treated your neighbors like you enjoyed their lengthy conversations? Maybe you don't have a neighbor like the one I have. <laughs> you are the neighbor. <laughs> We're going to talk. How many of you go exploring? I mean, when, somebody, when you ask, hey, how's things going? Good, great, okay, good, see you later. Shoot, I did it just this morning. He said hi to me, and I, I said the wrong answer to the question. <laughs> you ever answered how you doing with, hi, oh, good, yeah. We do it. It happens all the time. 
Why? Because we're not exploring, we're not digging. That's an incredible behavior to say, you know what? Your quick little fine, it's not fine. I want to know. I'm going to go digging for treasure. I'm going to find out what your deepest hopes are, what your biggest fears are, where I can come alongside you and do life with you. Exploring and engaged. It's not enough to know people. It's not enough <laughs> to be aware of the needs in their life. As you'll find in this book, it's not enough to simply say, I'm praying for you and move along. Not to say that prayer isn't something that we do to engage in the needs of people's lives, but it shouldn't be the last thing. Here's what I'd like you to do. Some of you are taking handwritten notes. Some of you have phones. You all have brains. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to either make a mental note, write it down in your phone, or write it down on your notebooks. I want you to think through the people who are your everyday folks. I want you to write their names down. These are people that you will see tomorrow or the next day, but some point this week, you're going to interact with them. So this is going to be your, uh, those you're in relationship with. This is going to be any kind of roommates. This is going to be children. This is going to be coworkers. You speak regularly to your neighbors. Who are your everyday people? Name them. Not out loud, but right here or here. Name them. Write their names down. Think about them. Can, as you think about them, can I ask you how interested you actually are in their lives? What I'm asking is this. Next to each name, write down these three things or take mental note of it. Try to do it. Can you tell me for every single one of those people what the greatest hope of their life is? Can you tell me for every single one what the greatest fear in their life is? Can you tell me what they're facing right now? I'm asking you, are you interested in the people right in front of you? If you can't answer all of those things, then you need to go exploring. You need to dig a little deeper. I think we have this misconception sometimes because we get worn out in life, we get burned out, we don't really like where we're at, the pressures of this life are getting a little tight, and so we start to say, God, deliver me from this space. I want to tell you something, God has you exactly where you are with the people who are in your life, and he wants you to be his extension to them. You may find another job. You may get into other circumstances. And please don't misunderstand what I just said as an excuse for any kind of abuse. But God wants you to accept that the people you bump into, the people who annoy you, and the people you're around every day are on purpose for a reason. Go exploring, find out why. And when you find out, engage, do something about it. With every single one of those names, 
Be honest with yourself. Is there an opportunity? As uncomfortable as it may be, is there an opportunity? I'm going to go back to my Monday. These are things I found out about some of those people after the fact. I found out on the news later that that two-car pileup ended in a fatality. I found out to the guy that I didn't want to talk with that the conversation went incredibly well and I couldn't figure out why. It's because I never got him to open up. I didn't go exploring. He's made some really poor business decisions and he doesn't know how to tell his spouse. Found out later from my grandma, not on that visit, but on a later visit because, uh, well, I had to get going. That night before, she had listened to her roommate pass. Take her last breaths. That person who sits at the desk that I say hi to every morning found out later. Oh, the, uh, the uh, person who owns the lease on their property, their personal property, checked it sky high. They have no idea where they're going to live if they can even stay in their shop owners here in this area. Scared to death of what's going to happen to their kids, pick them up and move them because they can't find a place to live. I'm surrounded, you're surrounded, by people who need you to pay attention. And engaging doesn't have to be extraordinary. It can be as easy as listening. Just to let somebody know that they matter. Sometimes it does require our time, our resources, and in those moments, may God give us courage and strength to not just be interested, not just be exploring, but to engage. I'm going to close up this time, and if God's speaking to you today, if it's sinking in, any parts of this, then I'm going to ask you to participate in a prayer with me. Because here's what I can't imagine, is what if we all did this? What if Hill City Church was known for being interested, exploring, and engaged the lives of the people around them? What if it wasn't just all the good works we could be doing, but the people day in and day out who feel like they matter because you have a relationship with God and you're his extension in the world? If this is your prayer today, then I ask you to pray with me because I'm going to say a personal prayer to God. I'm going to ask him to help me do this because I've already told you I'm not. <laughs> I'm being honest with you. And if you're honest with me and you say, this is me, then pray this prayer with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. I thank you so much, God, for your patience, your grace, your mercy. God, help us to be extensions of your grace, your mercy, your love, your patience. Help us to never in your name be about works that don't make a lot of difference in the lives of the people right in front of us. God, I'm asking today that you help me to be interested in the people right in front of me. I'm asking you, God, to help me go exploring the needs of their life. I'm asking you, God, to help me have the courage, the strength to be engaged. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Let it be done in your name.